The rapid pace of change can be boiled down to one mission-critical service, and that's the cloud. But despite widespread adoption and enthusiasm for cloud's seemingly endless possibilities, many organizations are still not seeing the payoff from their investments. At least, that's what Jenny Kohler, the U.S. cloud and digital leader at PwC, told us. There's this notion now of the how am I going to deliver this thing so I don't have to wait until the bitter end to get value is out there. How do I sequence it the right way to get the value unlocked earlier? How do I not have to wait until the end? I think almost as much as the price tag conversation is happening and trying to tie it to value, there's also this very, well, what's your approach to get it rolled out? How do I see value faster? How do I not have to wait? That's a conversation that's different. And the technology allows it. The good news is Jenny has one mission, to change the digital face of her clients. And on this episode of IT Visionaries, she offers up some insights into why companies are no longer worried about security when it comes to the cloud, and instead of focusing on if they are deriving enough value from it. Jenny also touches on PwC's intense initiative to close the talent gap within the IT space. Enjoy. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by Salesforce Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Innovate fast, empower every employee, and scale with confidence from anywhere with a customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform. Welcome everyone to another episode of IT Visionaries. And today we have Jenny Kohler. She is the US cloud and digital leader at PwC. Jenny, welcome to the show. Hi, Albert. Good to be here. All right. Right out the gate. PwC is a huge company and your title is, while it's clear, it's also not specific. We'd love to know exactly what you work on. U.S. cloud and digital leader. What does that mean at PwC for you specifically? Well, thanks, Albert, for the question. I uh, I appreciate it. We are currently in the middle of going through a bit of a reorg and a, and a brand relaunch for PwC. So a bit of this is what I'm about to make it, I guess, in the firm. And I guess short answer to that, what I would say is, you know, my mission My number one mission in this role is to change the digital face of our clients. That's it. So there's a lot that goes into that. There's a lot of capabilities that make that up. At the end of the day, that's the mission is to change the digital face of our our clients and, of course, to help them do it in whatever way changes the face of their business and how they interact with their customers. Now, PwC serves a huge array of customers. Which group are you? Are you focused on a specific group or give us an idea of which type of customers you work with? All U.S. industries. All of them. Yes, all of them. So, <laughs> so I've got, Albert, I have my hands full. There's no doubt. And this is a hot time <laughs> to be doing this. <laughs> now, your prior experience tended to be in like, I don't know how to best describe it, like heavy industrials, power and utilities, energy, manufacturing, automotive. So it sounds like that's where you used to focus, but now you will focus on anyone who wants to go to go change their face. Yeah. So I've grown up, I've had, I've had a huge passion in my career, actually, personally for 20 plus years working in utilities, actually regulated utilities in the U.S. And as I grew my career, I had the privilege of working with traditional oil and gas companies and manufacturers in the U.S. Um, So as I took over different parts of the business, but, you know, to this day still, if I spend my time with clients, it's generally speaking, in the land of utilities and kind of manufacturing some of those hardcore industries that that power business and in life in society. So that's my base. But with some of our rebranding and our reorganization, um, in order to best serve our clients and and also frankly, you know, Albert, to acknowledge 
the fact that a lot of industries are converging. They can learn from each other. Technology actually accelerates that as a possibility, frankly. That's right. Getting all of our practitioners that do work in the digital space together will help us better serve our clients and port over, I think, knowledge from different industries to each other. So that's the goal. That's the promise. And I'll get a chance to get my hands dirty in a lot of different places now. No, that's that sounds promising and interesting and challenging at the same time. Yeah. We had a previous guest on, so just previous guest on that was uh, one led the um, the digital unit at GE, and he talked about in this industry specifically. And I'd love to hear your perspective on this. One of the biggest challenges is that there's not like the mind share of let's say technologists that serve the industry isn't quite the same as let's say like you know filters on your phone, right? The reality is there's more people doing consumer products or more like consumer applications. Then there are like heavy industrial problems because a lot of times if I'm a, let's say a young engineer or a developer in my career, I don't know that these problems exist because I've not, I've never had to work on them. So they talked about how like the challenges that are in front of the industry that needs to move forward fast. And like, of course, different companies are building their own digital teams. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about like what is happening specifically in these industries that is going to change and accelerate this. Cause you talked about it a moment ago briefly, which is these groups, these companies know that their consumers are let's just say the consumers have already changed. Like they're already digital first yep. and these industries need to go catch and meet them where they, they want to be. That's right. Talk about what challenges, you know, give us an idea of what is facing this industry. So, you know, I'll give you a data point and I'll do it in the context of a survey we've recently put on. It's a global survey. So just keep it in mind, 250 senior executives. So this is senior C-suite, even board members potentially for 250 globally based clients of ours. And to set the tone, to answer your question, I would say this. First of all, there's optimism that's crept in. So this survey that we conducted here, and I'll read off some numbers, was, is a year into COVID. Okay. Right? So there's a degree of 60% of our clients we surveyed at a global basis. There's a degree of optimism about business conditions such that they themselves are starting to forecast for their business a degree of revenue growth, mm. which is awesome. That's fantastic. Now, what's interesting is we did ask the follow-up question is where to make it happen. How are you investing maybe differently for the future? And to the tune of 10 to 15%, the answer came back additional investment from years past in things like digital and cyber. So there's this, I think, dawning realization that in order to attain the position of higher revenue growth and all of that, it's going to be fueled, frankly, by the foundational things that happen with technology. That's just it. And a lot of it, you know, front office facing or revenue growth facing new products and services innovation. And the client base that I know so well, whether it be utilities or energy or manufacturing, is, is no different in that. We, this survey came back with a multitude of industries. And so the trend and the perception kind of held. I just think we're in an interesting time. The pandemic... I don't think is the most interesting thing to talk about at this point. I mean, I think what it did is just put a, put a light on to companies about their ability to be resilient or agile and something will shock their system. It could be a new entrant. It could be a pandemic. Either way, you've got to be in this position to set yourself up for success. And frankly, you're not going to do it without, um, you know, a technology or digital backbone that's supportive of it. Yeah, that that is definitely something I I heard. We've heard from a lot of guests. The pandemic just highlighted this idea that whatever you think your systems are, whatever you think market conditions will be, the reality is you know nothing, yes, right? You yes. don't actually know what's going to happen. You don't actually know that 
a random boat is going to get you know stuck in the Suez Canal and it's going to cost you <laughs> billions of dollars in freight <laughs> losses. You don't know those things. You don't plan for those things. And so now the new movement I've heard from different guests is they just want to build like this. You know, software was the first kind of industry I think that you know we've heard all the terms agile, Scrum, waterfall. It doesn't matter. But they they developed DevOps. They they developed disciplines where it was said, hey, I can transform my business very quickly, and they did it software first. But now companies are saying, hey, I need to do that on a wider scale, right? That I need to be able to not only change my software, change my business practices, change my actual shipping, delivery, whatever the case may be, the actual physical world, I need to change that quickly. But that's going to be enabled by software. So when you are sitting here and you're going to advise the whole United States, (laughs) (laughs) what do you think you need to focus on? What does PwC need to focus on in regards to like talent? How do you develop talent that's going to serve Right now, so many unwritten use cases. I don't, I don't even want to put words in your mouth, right? But like, I'm imagining there's going to be many unwritten use cases where it's not going to be clear. You'll have like, let's say, domain expertise in your team. So you're going to have to develop a team that is going to also be agile in regards to its ability to learn, research, implement. I mean, these are just my thoughts, but I'd love to hear how you how you envision building a team that's going to support this. You know what I mean? Oh, it's, this is what keeps me up at night, Albert. This is it. <laughs> you, just, you just hit the nail on the head. I would say there's a few ways I'd answer this question. Yeah. The most obvious way to answer the question, I think, is a little bit of what you're hitting on, which, by the way, we're not alone as far as PwC goes as a company with the war on talent, right? I think digital trends is creating like a digital divide in expertise. Right. We've come to the realization that in some respects, we will quote unquote, buy that talent. But in, in a much more real sense, you know, we want to be a talent destination. So we will have to build the talent. We will have to invest in our own people for the requisite skills to serve our clients. I, I think the other part of this is our mindset as a consultancy. So you know, I referenced this um, optimism that's out there. I referenced the notion of growth and innovation for our clients and what they're going to seek for their future. And I think we have very much an ethos at PwC that it's not just the technology that'll get you there. So you've got to have the right business case. You've got to point the technology at the thing in your business that will create differentiated value. There are some things a company, every company has to do that's just kind of like foundational table stake stuff. It's not the same stuff that gives them a competitive advantage in the market. So for us, our mindset as a consultancy provided you know, we have the, the right talent, to your point, is how do we cobble together, and this is what we strive to do all the time, cobble together a diversity of talent and skill set that will look at a client's predicament or problems in such a way that we're creating a step change in their business. And that's a holistic conversation. It's not just the wiring of a piece of technology or a group of technologies. It's, do they have the right operating model? Do they have the digital gun, so to speak, pointed at the right you know, business imperative. And how do you measure that return? How do we get incremental value along the way to your point on Agile, not just wait you know, two years to the end of a project? So does it align to a company's strategy? Does a company have a strategy? Like Those other questions to us, I think, are highly interesting when we're talking in the context of some of the technology that exists today, because the step change is needed in the business. And for a reason, we just have to find the right place for it, the right pocket of value to unlock. That's our goal. And so it's, a, it's very much a mindset when we show up at our clients, in addition to, to your point, the right 
skills we bring, I guess, if that makes sense. It does. And I was curious, you know, because I've always wondered this about big consultancy firms, you know, so, as someone who is outside of that world, I've worked with people from, the, you know, my, for example, my brother, he, he works at one of your competitors. We won't name them. Uh, <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> we'll get, we'll tell him to move. You know what I mean? Like, hey, just come over and over to PwC. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> but he talked about doing this huge project that his team was implementing. Um, it was like, it sounded easy at the surface. It was like email. So the name for this project, and, and the reason why I want to use this example is because I want to state the example and hopefully you can show me using one of your examples of how this all comes together. But I was more identifying, I saw a problem in his example, which is they their job was to converge email systems. Sounds relatively easy. And then you figured out that they have so many lines of business, so many ESP providers, so many data points throughout the organization that were not connected at the time. And this is a major entertainment company. I'll give a clue. They run amusement parks. So it's like one of three companies out there, (laughs) (laughs) right? (laughs) There's only a handful. Um, And so I asked him, I asked him a very simple question. I was like, have you ever done this before? He goes, no. (laughs) <laughs> well, how, how do you know what you're doing? <laughs> it's comforting, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He says, well, I've, you know, I've helped mer- companies merge databases. So this is just, you know, a bigger, bigger, more disparate database. I'm like, I mean, I guess it sounds that right. But, you know, I wanted to kind of hear your perspective on these because a lot of these problems or let's say challenges, it's tough to say I'll have the best, most talented people I think best, most talented doesn't necessarily equal experience, right? Because you might not have ever experienced it, but you've solved problems like this. So that therefore you have talent. That's right. Um, I'd love to hear your perspective on like some of the problems you guys are solving. And, and like, so this idea that experience really just doesn't seem to matter anymore. I don't know. Like, I'd love to hear your perspective on how you tackle that question. Because I feel like when you work with a client, they will be like, hey, Jenny, what's, what level of experience do you have doing this? And you, they don't want to hear, well, we've never done it before. Yeah. <laughs> <But>. <laughs> That's never worked for me, Albert. I'll be honest. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. wish it did. Right. But we, we know the problems that you're about to solve or provide advisory on probably haven't been solved before. Yeah. So it's, it's a really good, good question. And this is for our business. You know, we challenge ourselves all the time to answer it the right way. Like what exactly is the essence of what a client is looking for? And it does it vary that thing they're looking for. How much does it vary by the kind of problem? We've returned over and over time and time again to a few things that we think are critical for success. So one being you need a degree of experience. It doesn't need to be every single team member, I would argue, but you need a degree of experience on a team like we would put forth to a client that understands the industry. So you need somebody with a degree of expertise about an industry because like that's even say in this example, you're in the bowels of a client's, I don't know, you know, to this point, the plumbing in their email systems. It could be anything. Pick, pick your technology area. There is like every industry has kind of this like fabric, this technology fabric that I argue has to come together, right? Yeah. You've got hardcore, their, their version of hardcore operational systems. You've got their back office plumbing or whatever. So to me, everything gets so interconnected that you need somebody who understands for that industry, what that ecosystem looks like. What does a good one look like? What does a bad one look like? Okay. So you need someone on your team to do that. We believe in that differentiation and it does get specific to an industry because there are certain kinds of technology or the ways that they're connected that have sprung up in every industry for various reasons of how they have to you know, get their work done. So I think you need it. 
I think there's a certain level on a team. And we think about it this way, where you just need an army of people to a certain extent that are just really versed in the underlying technology, but they don't maybe need to be industry specialists. There's a possibility. You got to blend that the right way. You need the right architect that knows the industry, um, but people that have just done it time and time and time again, that they know what good looks like to get the actual task done. And I think there's a part of technology that, you know, what, what defines excellence at that level is somebody that has just done it so many times. They have a methodology that's proven, you know, they've got artifacts they take from their last job that they bring to this one and they know they can lift and shift them and get, you know, the work done 50% faster. Right. So I think for the reality is it's the, it's a blend of all of it that comes together to differentiate. Yeah. I wish our clients would say (laughs) you don't need the experience But the reality is the industry stuff does matter. The more and more, by the way, you're talking to, you know, I would submit a business owner for like a, whether it be a department or whether it be for a business unit, I think that starts to matter more. And the reality is, you know, you need to keep driving it out for whatever outcome they want to attain. So I think it also depends on the nature of the work, nature of the job and kind of who's, who's on point to execute on and have to deliver some outcome or business case. Yeah. I mean, that's what I was always wondering, you know, how do customers react? Because I think the reality is the industry that you're in and for the size and scale of customers that you're in, because we kind of talked about it before is like, when it comes to technologists solving these problems, it's limited. Right. And the reality is, so when we discussed earlier about like a company like GE, they, they were on our show before they had to develop their own software team because they just didn't have, there wasn't like vendors they could turn to. And so that you hear, you'll hear about these in like these big application use cases. So I like, I like this concept of, Hey, you know, if, if it's an email thing, you might need someone who's exceptional in email. If it's a industry thing, you need someone who's very, very versed in the, in the industry. One of the things that's continued to come true is I would say on the U S consumer level, we're all consumers in some way. And so every, therefore every, even a B2B business like oil and gas, right? They deal with people that are used to consumer applications but we as consumers, our threshold and patience for waiting for help has continued to get shorter. So I know that there's a big rush of industries trying to get better at that for a better customer experience. And I encountered this myself over the weekend, and I'd love to hear your perspective on why is it that some companies are changing fast and other companies are struggling with it, even though they're in the same industry. So I won't name names, but there is one airline I prefer to fly because I find it very easy to change my ticket. Like it's, In fact, when it's stormy, They'll actually do it for me. I have landed and this airline in my app will tell me that, hey, this flight's been canceled. We've already rebooked you on this flight. This is how we're going to get you home. Do you accept? And I can be like, yes. So I wanted to change my ticket. And I, they told me how to call somebody. And I was like, what? This is a new airline. So airline A does it for me. So they must have their data systems locked in. They know exactly what inventory is available, what inventory is not available. Where can they move me? That's airline A. Airline B wanted me to call. When I called, dead serious, they told me there won't be anyone return my, the estimated wait time they told me was over four hours. And they asked if I wanted to schedule a call. My options were tomorrow, which was at this point Saturday. And then on Sunday, I picked Saturday and then it told me through the prompts that it wasn't available. And so I (laughs) eventually got it solved, but it did take more than 72 hours. It was a really negative experience, but that's not the whole point. The point I'm asking you is what is happening in industry specifically where one can be so much further ahead than the other. What is like, I'm curious, like from your perspective, what is stopping 
companies from attacking better digital services, changing the face of their business, as you suggested, from you know as fast as others? What 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 do you, where do you see it in your perspective? Yeah, and by the way, Albert, I that airline example resonates. I'm pretty sure I fly airline B in your example. (laughs) (laughs) Without naming airlines, it's possible I'm on airline B. So unfortunately I get it. (laughs) Well, there's only a handful of airlines. So, you know, it's one (laughs) the airline A. Yeah. I was like, I couldn't believe it. Like airline B was like, Oh, you want to change your ticket? You got to call when I called a four hour wait. Do you want to schedule the car? Yes. How about Saturday? Sounds good. There are none available. I was like, what? <laughs> oh, I get it. I bet I've been there. Yes, I get it. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> but to your question, you know, I'm going to give you an interestingly long winded answer if you'll permit me it. No, yeah, of course. So, what's interesting about what you said, and to your point exactly, on the consumer side, the patience for waiting is not there. The degree of having things personalized has to be super high, all of the above. It's just a, it's a mindset that's shifted fundamentally on the consumer side, which resonates with me because we recently conducted a, um, a first of its kind for us. We do a lot of surveying of our clients, but we've recently conducted a cloud-specific business survey. And there were a few headlines in there. I'm going to point to one of them in particular that I think speaks to what you're getting at, which is you know, number one, we heard from our clients, you know, 90%. That's just, that's a high amount. These are five, over 500 clients and executives surveyed. 92% of them were all in on the cloud, either in their promise to adopt it or already having done it in significant parts of their business. The reason I'm focused on the cloud when I answer this, because to do all the things I think you're talking about, to be able to have the information and the data crunched at the fingertips to then link it to an individual customer to be proactive requires, I would guess airline A behind the scenes has invested a lot in data and analytics. I would guess airline A behind the scenes has modernized their set of platforms in some capacity to be able to do what you're saying. So I'm going to just take that as, as a hypothesis, right? They've probably also invested significantly in middleware. Yes. To like connect systems that aren't supposed to talk to each other. They're like, no, they have to. Yes. Like they've made their experience, what they've done. And this is a concept that we've consulted with some manufacturers on. So the concept is analogous, frictionless. They, they've made, Albert, they've made it frictionless, right? That these things that maybe before had been siloed about hard, to your point, hardcore operations, your fleet, yeah, all the way to the customer itself. So all of a sudden you're in the front office from operations and you're dealing with it on a dime with like changing weather, weather conditions or maintenance conditions or whatever. They've made it frictionless, right? Yeah. It's literally in the app. You can say, accept this change. It's amazing. Or you can call somebody to which I, no, I don't want to call anybody except. Yes. <laughs> I don't even want to talk. I don't want to talk to a human. So that's the point is I would bet airline A has done a deg- has completed a degree of modernization for the essence of their business to get to their customers in a better way that airline B perhaps has not done. That would be my hypothesis. So what's interesting, and I come back to the survey, 90% of these 500 plus executive surveys said they're all in on the cloud or they've already kind of taken the leap. And what's interesting is they say they're doing it. The biggest promise of the cloud, okay, so it, it ties into these themes. A third of them had promise around, I'm doing this to make better decisions. Like I'm fundamentally going to make these investments and I want to make these investments because I want to be able to make better decisions. That was a third. 
There was another third, right under a third, 29% of our respondents said they're doing it for better customer experiences. So everything you just said about airline A, they read the tea leaves. They probably made a lot of investments and they said they're doing it to better and enrich a customer experience. And to do it as well, they have to be in a position to make better decisions. So everything airline A did is we validated in a survey. Now to the barriers of why not, why is airline B not and why has airline A chosen to do it? We've heard a few interesting things about barriers to success. In our clients' words, given the data we collected, partly is there's, a, there's that digital divide I talked about. There's that talent gap we talked about earlier, Albert. That's out there. So it could be a situation where a client is just simply saying, like, listen, I don't have the talent to do it. I don't have access to the talent to do it. Mm-hmm. And that's an impediment to my success. That came through loud and clear in our survey is it's a possibility for an impediment to success. I will tell you, if I divorce myself from the survey and I just speak to kind of anecdotally some of the experiences that myself and some of my other partners have with clients, I, you know, fundamentally, this starts at a strategic conversation at a company. So does a company have a handle on their strategy in such a way that they've defined their North Star and what they're aiming for? And so... Um, the better a company is at doing that, at defining their value that they want to unlock and what they want to be known for, the better they probably are in making their strategic decisions around their technology and getting it into the right, you know, the right place in their business to make a difference. You know, what's interesting in our survey, and the reason I think there's an issue there for a lot of companies, and I couldn't tell you if airline B, this is what what their culprit was. But what I would say is this, as much as 90% plus of our survey respondents said that they're all in on the cloud and the promise of the cloud, only half of them are saying they're getting the value from it. So that's what's, to us, that's what's mind blowing is you've kind you were kind of past, I don't know, Albert, if you remember this, like say four or five years ago, this whole fear of like security of the cloud, right? It almost was like an almost was like an impediment to make a move. We are not hearing that anymore. We're hearing nothing that screams to that level in our data. We're still hearing, okay, yeah, we've got to be mindful of security, but it's not like it's this roadblock that I'm not, I'm not going to go near the cloud, right? I think we're past that window, which is awesome. I think we're past it. Yeah. So now it's like, okay, if you're past that as an impediment and 90% of you are saying to us, like, we're all in on it and we've got these big goals in the business, what we've uncovered is that only half of them are saying they're getting an ROI from it. Some of it is, you know, CFOs that we surveyed in, and there was a, a large part of CFOs that responded to the survey said that half of the CFOs surveyed said to us that they're not sure how to measure the ROI on the cloud. So I think there's this we're on this precipice of the technology being evolved and approachable and this notion of the C-suite that it's ubiquitous and necessary to drive the business forward. Yet we're then here that half of them aren't getting the value. So what's interesting about airline B is maybe they made some of these investments. Maybe they just made them in the wrong place Yeah, and they're not getting the value or, you know, it's hard to know. It's hard to unpack like what that could be. I can only speculate. But there is something there about, and we find it, like the culture in a company to break down barriers and make change, to question the status quo, the clarity of strategy, all those things go into then what you felt with airline A. 
is my guess. And I'm guessing there was an aligned leadership team. I'm guessing there was a North Star on the strategy. I'm guessing there was a willingness and a culture to break down norms and silos for a better customer experience, more than probably Airline B might have had. That would be my guess. So the, that's something that we've found when talking to different leaders or, you know, you'll, you'll meet different people, different, as you said, the strategies or their, their North Star, different focuses. Right. Because, yeah, what is the transactional ROI of making that service available to me? Well, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, uh, did I, I didn't pay extra, you know, I didn't pay extra for either airline A or B. I didn't do any of that. And they've, they made no extra money, you know, in airline B's case, they're going to solve it with people. Airline A's case, they're going to solve it with technology. So maybe the costs were flat and maybe there is no true ROI. But this is where, and I'm curious your, to hear your perspective on this as well, is like, but this is how markets kind of shift, in my opinion, where people have better experiences. So you can't really tell on the transaction level, did you make or lose more money? But in the long run, I'll book more with A and I already do, right? I don't book as much with B. And, if I, and the only reason why I'm booking with B is because maybe A is full. You know what I mean? Yep. If you're overly focused on transactional ROI, you might be missing the big picture, which is, are people going to continue to want to do business with me? And, you know, that's, I'm curious if like you guys, do you guys advise on that? No, I'm with you. <laughs> and we do. And that's when we help our clients put together business cases, it's not all the crunching the numbers to your point. Like there is an element of crunching the numbers. There is an element to doing the same amount of work at a lower cost, right? To just on that point, before I go to the qualitative side of a business case, but on the quantitative side, that global survey that I referenced earlier, this optimism, this, hey, listen, we think we're going to you know, see revenue growth and we're projecting revenue growth. What's interesting, and this is a punchline that I think is really important, and I think this also ties to why those same companies are saying we're going to spend 10 to 15% more on digital. They're saying the 40% of them that are expecting that revenue growth are saying that they expect to achieve it and not grow headcount. And that's a very important point. Mm -hmm. That's super important. So what technology is going to do is it's going to give you this headroom to operate and grow your business without at the same level growing your cost structure, because that doesn't help you stay profitable. So, or increase your profitability. So the notion, the thing about it is there is no doubt in a business case around digital, there is a component you can crunch the numbers and you can not only take costs out in some cases of doing the same transaction, but you could increase your top line, but not your bottom line with it. So I think there's a couple components to a business case that's tied to numbers, but to your real point, mm -hmm. there's this third bucket that I think of as capabilities, right? Which have a qualitative factor. It's like a muscle, you know what I mean? It's like binary, you either have it or you don't, you know, it's, you have a new capability to reach your customer differently. Maybe it's through their, through an app, right? Not calling. And some maybe airlines to this case have it, some don't, or some way better than another. And so your ability to stick with it and not have churn as a company because of it, that's something that's a lot harder to measure. There's an experiential side of things that you measure around a brand or, again, their degree to which their customers are sticky. Some of that is very much you know, qualitative in nature and, and not quantitative. Some of it is, you know, we hear over and over again that the promise of cloud and some of these new digital technologies is supposed to enable future M&A transactions, you know, to be done faster. I mean, something that hasn't even happened yet. It's just a fundamental capability difference. And so some of those get trickier, I think, to measure. When we work with our clients, we'll, we'll dial in 
pretty fast, I think, on the numbers side of it, because I don't think you can be naked without some sort of an ROI that you can articulate with numbers. But there is very much this capability type of conversation about what you, what you can do as an organization, like the notion of making better decisions. Yeah, A third of them said that they, hey, that's what I want to be able to do. How do you quantify that? <laughs> that's tricky because it's like a muscle. It's, you gave your employees a new set of tools to be you know, more analytical and to get data at their fingertips across silos a lot faster. Now, what are they going to do with it? And that's a capability. You know, and it's a necessary capability. It's a trickier one to measure. There's no doubt. But the business of the future, like data is going to be one of their biggest currency. I, I can think of almost no industry where one of the biggest assets that they will own is their data. Now, what they do with it is a totally different question, but that's what they're getting at. There is the currency associated with unlocking what you do with your own data. And how do you make better decisions? That's tough to quantify. You know, so it's a capability. So for the 50%, so 10, like I think. I've now lost track of the numbers, but a significant amount want to invest, like at least, you know, more in cloud. It's like 90% want to make the investment. 50% say they're currently getting the value of it. So half of them don't know what they're getting out of it. So I'm sure this conversation comes up given PwC's position in the global, you know, what you guys are known most for is how much do I invest? Do those conversations come up? Because like, if I'm like, imagine I'm a company and I have don't think I'm getting enough out of cloud. You tell me there's like the customer shift to experience. I agree. I think that is 100% how I like to consume products and services. And I think my customers will too. And then the next question comes up, well, how much do I have to put in to make this shift? Are you seeing any pushback or well, like what is the pushback resistance? What's the climate, I guess, to spend and invest? Because that's another thing that often sometimes might not match up with, uh, you know, you got a company's overarching goal. And then there's how much do I need to invest to make it happen? Is that becoming an argument or is it becoming less of an argument? I would say, I think there's still the sense, I think every company still has the sensitivity to the, the price, you know, the price tag they're going to have to spend on. Yeah. How much is it going to cost me? <laughs> I don't think, I can't see a world that that ever goes away. I think the further that that conversation and that price tag, the more it's divorced from at least the fundamental concepts of what it's going to take for a company, one of our clients to innovate themselves, or definitely the top line conversation on revenue goes over a hell of a lot better than the cost conversation of like, hey, we're going to take costs out of your business, right? One of those is sexier than the other. I'd argue both are necessary to be competitive in the market. But you know, the point is you don't get away from it. I think what we've learned is those conversations go a lot easier the more it is dialed into a company's fundamental strategy. So, and I will also say this, Albert, I think the how these programs get done has been a shift in conversation philosophy in the last, say, four to five years. And what I mean by that is this. So like, and you probably know this, like some traditional business application programs, if you rewound time to like 20 years ago, I mean, those programs would be a lot of money, no doubt. But there'd be this like, okay, we're going to go live in three years <laughs> or two and a half years. And it's going to be this traditional waterfall. Hey, going to do everything in, in serial like phases. And then bam, you get to two and a half years, three years, whatever. Here, you're, you're live, right? That's the difference today. The days of those kind of, the way you deliver a project like that, I think it's gone. You know what I mean? I think there's this notion now of the how am I going to deliver this thing so I don't have to wait until the bitter end to get value is out there. You know, how, like, what's my early release going to be 
that lets somebody in my company start using it and something different will happen in our business or to our customers, right? How do I sequence it the right way to get the value unlocked earlier? How do I not have to wait until the end? Like, I think almost as much as the price tag conversation is happening and trying to tie it to value, there's also this very, well, what's like, what's your approach to get it rolled out? How do I see value faster? How do I not have to wait? That's a conversation that's different. And the technology allows it, I think. I think the notion of, I don't know, embedding experience in designing, for example, and breaking up like your personas or your users in such a way that you can deliver them something sooner is very interesting. And I think that's a conversation more and more we're having with our clients. And if you come in with the traditional way of doing it, it's kind of dead on arrival in some cases, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. Uh, what I was thinking about that is when you started mentioning is because um, I used to work in ERP upgrades back in the late 2000s. But I mean, your quote to completion, like, oh, in three years, we'll release it. Yep. We'll release it in three years. It's like, what? Yes. It's like, I need, <laughs> I remember working for a company that was trying to upgrade its um, inventory management system to more of a just-in-time type of manufacturing. I remember this inventory system, like I came in and we were supposed to work on this upgrade. And I remember being told that it had already been happening for two years and it wasn't expected to be delivered in two years. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, it's four years for inventory system? Like, that's, that's insanity. Like you said earlier, I don't think companies have that appetite anymore. They want to see incremental progress immediately. Yes. And the other thing we're seeing, Albert, it's uh, funny. I'm I'm not going to name the client, but I was on the phone last week and he made me laugh with the CEO of a a consumer markets company. And um, the other thing we are seeing right now is there are a few technology vendors out there right now, like for core ERPs that are, that have certain deadlines looming for the, to get on the latest version. At the same time, you've got the you know, the cloud hyperscalers out there that are, you know, very much moving to an industry focus and, um, you know, becoming part of the fabric and the fundamental platform for a company. So there's a lot of technology stuff that a CIO or a digital officer has to handle right now. So there is a lot of right now, I will tell you this, there's a lot of our clients that are saying, oh, what's my digital roadmap? Can you guys help me with that? So you got to sequence things the right way. And for any one project, you still can't have it take three years to deliver value and all that. So I was on the phone with the CEO of, um, like I said, a a consumer markets client of ours last week, and we're working with them to look at their digital strategy and roadmap. So we got to sequence a bunch of stuff. And so I was on the phone with them to kind of understand a few things about his priorities. And it was so funny to me. You know, he said, he's like, Jenny, there is nothing that pains me more than having to spend money on my general ledger. Because to him, right? And so this gets to the concept of value. And it made me laugh. Because, you know, to him, that's where I think it gets down to, you know, what are the things you do as a company that you just, they're like table stakes. You got to do it. In this case, what he meant was, I get it. I have to close the books. I have to file with the SEC. My numbers have to be right. But it's, it's like to him, he's like, it's not where the biggest value, like my competitive advantage in the market to my customers comes, right? He's like, I know I got to do it. I know I got to deal with it. But to him, to, I guarantee you, we're going to come out at the other end is, okay, I just got to get this done. I'm not going to make it super fancy. I'm going to try to get it done as expeditiously as possible. And the things that interested him were all these things around uh, how does he price for his uh, customers for different products and services, right? How does he reach his customers with a better experience? So I guarantee you in his mind, he's like, that's differentiating for me. That's where I get my competitive advantage relative to my competition. 
And now I'm going to spend more money on that. So that's the other part of the conversation. It's like, you can, um, the approach is mattering more and more and more. And what we are doing with our clients is trying to help them sift through, hey, what's the stuff that's just like table, table stakes, right? It's not, I don't know, it's table stakes. You need to do it. It's got to be right. But the things that'll really drive value for you, that's the other part of the conversation. And to back to your cost question, you can guess where that CEO is going to spend more money. The ledger is not going to be fun to update, you know, and that's and that's how we look at it from a consumer lens. If we go full circle now back to my brother working on the amusement park companies, how does amusement park get picked? Right. Experience. Yes. How much fun I have. No one cares about the ledger. Of- it isn't their damn email system. Right. Or whatever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not my email system. It's not. So, like, I get it. Like, if you're a CEO of, in that, you know, you were mentioning consumer marketplace, but in this case, whether it's amusement parks, consumer marketplace, industrial manufacturing, doesn't matter. The things that are going to move the needle are how customers view using your products and services. That's it. Like everything else is. That's right. <laughs> everything else is not nonsensical. Yeah. And that's the point is like when we are in front of like, say, CFO. So if I was in front of his CFO and his CFO heard him say that, he'd probably be like, what do you, what do you mean? Like my, what I'm doing isn't adding the same kind of value. It's just a different way to look at it. Right. So for the things that are absolutely like foundational, you just want to do them as always as accurately as possible and as efficiently as possible. So if your controllership in this case, if his controllership was closing the books and doing it as efficiently as possible, that's how they're returning value to the company. And then that return to the company allows them then to spend more on the thing with their customer, right? To add value. Right. And so every part, I'm of the belief and we are of the belief that every part of an organization has value to contribute. It's just where and how does it do it, right? Is it an efficiency play or is it an experience play or an effectiveness play? Like there's all these different ways to think about it. And that's the key is just figuring out, like I I call it the digital gun, like where do you point it? But like, where do you point it? And then what do you measure its success at, right? I think that's the challenge for companies. It can't be a one size fits all. It won't be successful. And it's different in every industry, which is why I come back to that, that position, that perspective and position matters a lot. Well, Jenny, it was awesome having you on our show today and sharing some of the things you're going to be working on at PwC, transforming, uh, like you mentioned before, the entire country to cloud. Um, (laughs) But before you go, it is time for the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by Salesforce Platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Jenny, this is where we ask you questions outside of work. Well, maybe some of it crosses over into work, but so our audience can get to know you a little bit better. Are you ready? Yeah, I'll, I'll do it. All right. PwC... All the consulting firms, notorious for putting people in, you know, butts on planes. Uh, <laughs> how many, what's the most amount of miles you have flown in a calendar year? And I know it wasn't last year. It sure wasn't. Thank God. Oh my God. I, you know what, Albert? I actually don't know. I am not one of those people who counts the miles, if, you, if it makes any sense. Is that okay? Is that a good answer? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> But at one point, I'm sure you were, I mean, because I, I, I was a consultant at one point where you were doing the everyday Sunday night out. Oh, yes. Thursday night back. Is that what you're doing? Oh, not now, but it was what I used to do. Yes. And I've amassed <laughs> on at least two airlines, their, you know, lifetime million mile plus. So I've, I've put in the miles, but I uh, try not to measure my life that way, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> We also read, did a little homework on you. It sounds like you were leaving California and heading back to Texas. Is that accurate? I left California, came to Texas, moved to Houston uh, during the pandemic in October. Yeah, my husband, the things I do for love, Albert, I uh, (laughs) left the Bay Area. My husband took a job in Houston. So here we are. What is the number one thing you miss about the Bay Area? 
Oh my gosh. I think I miss like the hiking, the trails, the, you know, the, the topography, all of that. I miss, I miss it a lot. Yeah. I've only been to Houston one time as like, you know, for work. So I don't know too much about what like hiking or anything is around Houston. Those are called sidewalks, Albert. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Outside of work, what do you like doing for fun? I used to like hiking. So that's off the table for me right now. I love cooking with my husband. I'm like the sous chef. I'm not the uh, total brains of the operation, but I do help. Uh, I love reading. There's a stack of books by my bed every night. Just I can't quite get to, but I love to read it at the end of my every day. So those are some of my highlights. All right. So what is your best dish that you can make? Oh boy. I make a mean eggplant parmesan. Oh, I'm a fan of that. And then when it comes to books, what do you like to read? Do you like fiction, nonfiction? Any recommendations for our audience? I love uh, fiction just as an escape. I love mysteries, kind of thrillers. One of my favorites that I've ever read, and I actually just recommended it and sent it to a colleague, is a book called I Am Pilgrim by an author, Terry Hayes. By far, one of the best, the vet best, one of the best thrillers I've ever read. All right, real quick. What is it about? I haven't looked that up yet. Oh, so it's about a, uh, it's kind of about a spy who's uh, kind of part assassin. So there's a lot, there's some gore, Albert, there's some gore. I'm not going to lie. It's okay. <laughs> some violence is in there. And uh, it's about his kind of career over working through a, for a government agency. All right. I'm looking at, I pulled it up now in front of me. <laughs> uh, it is highly rated for our audience. Like Goodreads has it at 4.3 out of five stars. Amazon's got it at 4.6 out of five stars, 18,000 reviews. So if you're looking for an adventure, Jenny says, try out I Am Pilgrim. Jenny, it was awesome having you on the show. Albert, thanks for having me. Thanks for sharing all the things that you're working on. Oh my gosh, my pleasure. It was awesome. 